This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, May 11th, 2023. It's been 3,361 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014 and 442 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, open-source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, There is a continued risk for missile and drone strikes across Ukraine. Second, the war of words continues between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Kremlin, while an impasse on ammunition delivery continues. Third, Wagner Group is dependent on Russian logistics for transportation in and out of Ukraine, and all Russian military units are on allocation restrictions for ammunition and powder charges. Fourth, Ukrainian forces have paused their retrograde operation in Bakhmut and are opportunistically launching limited offensives while holding combat-destroyed PMC Wagner units in place. Fifth, we remain uncertain if Ukrainian forces will restart their retrograde operation in Bakhmut, if PMC Wagner will receive ammunition as promised, and if Chechen Akhmat will deploy to Bakhmut as reinforcements. Sixth, We maintain that Ukraine has seized the battlefield initiative in all operational areas. Seventh, in preparation for larger offensive operations, Ukrainian forces continue shaping operations on multiple axes, creating panic and uncertainty among Gauleiters, Russian administrators, and military leaders. Eighth, we have identified shaping activity by the Ukrainian armed forces in four locations that could indicate a larger attack is being prepared. And finally, weather models are now favorable for larger offensive operations using armor and mobility in most areas, with Bezdorizhia, or mud season, for spring 2023, ending by May 15th. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian forces continued their attacks in the area of Masutivka. 
The GSAFU also reported that Russian forces continued to shell Liman Pirshi. Russian mercenary mill blogger War Gonzo claimed that the Ukrainian offensive to liberate Vilshana continued. In the Kupiansk operational area, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Ukrainian surveillance, reconnaissance, and sabotage, or DRG, units were operating near Orlyansky. While in the Svatova operational area, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian DRG units were also operating in the area of Krohvalne. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Svatova operational area in Luhansk, the GSAFU and Russian MOD reported fighting between squad or platoon-sized units was ongoing near Stelmachivka. In the Kremina operational area, the GSAFU reported a Russian attempt to advance through the Serebriansky woods failed. In the Lysychansk operational area, Russian forces made another attempt to advance on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, from the southeast, which was unsuccessful. Russian forces fired 555 artillery shells, mortars, and rockets on Free Luhansk and carried out 12 airstrikes, according to Ukrainian Colonel Serhii Tervati of Operational Command East, or OKE. In occupied Luhansk, the so-called Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported that three rockets fired by HIMARS struck Kadyevka including the top floor of a nine-story apartment building, killing one and wounding three. Russian mill blogger and nationalist Andriy Morosov, or Murs, dismissed LNR claims that the building was intentionally targeted or that the rocket was deflected due to GPS jamming. Morozov's explanation is that Ukrainian mission planners didn't account for the height of the building and also claimed up to three HIMARS rockets were intercepted by Russian air defenses. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Wargonzo reported that Russian forces attempted to advance west out of Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, and were unsuccessful. In the Bakhmut operational area, PMC Wagner continued its attacks on Khomova, also without success. The T-506 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that is a supply line, remains open but very difficult to use. PMC Wagner attacks in the northern, west-central, and southern parts of the city were unsuccessful, with Russian mercenary millblogger Ribar reporting that the city was now a, quote, frozen front. A geolocated video showed a tank with the Ukrainian 3rd Separate Assault Brigade operating with impunity on Tchaikovsky Street, repeatedly firing into Russian positions at the Technical College. The GSAFU reported that PMC Wagner attempted to regain lost position south of Ivanivsky and, in a fit of consistency, was unsuccessful at that, too. In Bakhmut, the Russian MOD reported a significant increase in activity, with their forces carrying out 98 fire missions, Russian Army Aviation executing two close air support sorties, and the Russian Air Force, or VKS, conducting 10 close air support sorties. Colonel Chedavati of OKE appeared to confirm the Russian reports, reporting 524 artillery strikes and 10 airstrikes. A quick sidebar. A sortie is a single aircraft carrying out a single mission, while an airstrike can be more than one aircraft striking the same target. 
A fire mission is an order to fire artillery at a specific location at a specific time with a type and number of munitions. So, 98 fire missions could very well equal 524 artillery strikes, averaging about 5.35 artillery strikes per fire mission. PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin continued making people uncomfortable and released another statement claiming that his mercenaries' risk encirclement, the flanks are crumbling, and he, quote, demands his ammunition. Prigozhin also attempts to rewrite history, repeating his claim that the capture of Bakhmut was strategically unimportant one whole day after claiming he wanted to capture the city for Victory Day. He also claims that the Russian MOD decided to start, quote, Operation Meat Grinder in Bakhmut on October 8th due to the loss of Kharkiv and Kherson and a need to buy time for Russia to build combat potential. Okay, that's great, but Russian troops didn't complete their retrograde operation from Kherson until November 11th, 2022, over a month later. We do have an in-depth teardown analysis of Prigozhin's entire 14-point claim on our Patreon, It is publicly available. As of the end of the day on May 10th, 2022, we estimate that Ukrainian forces maintain control of 2.8 square kilometers of Bakhmut, a little over a square mile, or roughly 6.7% of the city. In the last episode, we reported that we had additional information about the situation along the Seversky Donetsk Donbass Canal in the Klishivka operational direction but wouldn't be sharing that information in order to support operational security. Well, now that it has leaked into the public domain, Ukrainian forces made a successful contested wet crossing of the canal and have established positions west of Klishivka. Multiple reports indicate that all Russian positions west of the Seversky Donetsk Donbass Canal have been cleared. We made small changes to the war map and reduced the area of no man's land west of the canal. Once again, Russian forces attempted and failed to push the canal and restore lost positions in the direction of Stopochki. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that the 1st Army Corps continued attempts to advance on Avdiivka from Vesele and Krutabalka and continued to be unsuccessful. Rybar claims that a Russian offensive from Opitne was successful in recapturing lost positions, while Ukrainian sources claim that Russian defensive lines near Opitne and Vodyana had collapsed. Neither of those claims are true, and there has been no change to the situation. Russian mercenary millblogger Wargonzo reported that Russian forces continued their attempts to advance toward Pervomaiske without success. In the Marinka operational area, fighting for Marinka continued still with no change in the situation. In the Vukhledar operational area, Russian forces attempted to advance toward Novomikhailivka from the east and maintained over nine years of Russian military tradition of suffering losses and retreating to their previous defensive positions. The Russian MOD claims that Ukrainian DRG units were probing Russian defenses in the area of Volodymyrivka. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News.
Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Moving on to Zaporizhia. In free Zaporizhia, Malokatrenivka was heavily shelled with smirch rockets armed with cluster munitions and thermite, damaging five residential buildings and setting widespread fires in the village, including two first responders wounded in a double-tap attack. In occupied Zaporizhia, there were reports of Ukrainian HIMARS strikes on Russian positions in Vasilivka, Ivanivka, Mikhailivka, and Tokmak, including a claim that an ammunition depot in Mikhailivka was destroyed. A lot of mainstream media sources repeated the Enerhoatam claim that Russian occupiers were going to withdraw up to 3,100 workers from the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Our assessment has been that this was highly unlikely because, if true, it would all but guarantee a nuclear accident. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported that the Black Sea fleet has 17 vessels on patrol, including three frigates capable of launching up to 24-caliber cruise missiles in total. In western and central Ukraine, Russian forces carried out 90 fire missions on free Ukraine, firing 461 artillery rounds, mortars, ground rockets, indirect tank fire, and drone-delivered IEDs, bombs, and rockets. The city of Kherson was attacked 10 times with 43 munitions, killing one and injuring another. Antonivka was shelled with thermite. The village of Kisomis was attacked again, with Russian artillery destroying the village medical clinic. Russian mill blogger Volodymyr Romanov reported that Ukrainian forces in Dachy, on the left bank of the Dnipro River, were hit by Russian airstrikes and artillery. Romanov accused Russian propagandist Alexander Sasha Kotz of lying after he claimed on May 9th that no Ukrainian forces were occupying the east bank of the river. Kotz never went to the Dnipro River, and his video showed Russian troops advising him not to, instead driving through the second echelon within Olishki. Romanov reports that Ukrainian forces have occupied the East Bank since April 20th and maintain a company-sized force in Dace that make regular troop rotations across the Dnipro and attack Russian positions. In occupied Kherson, a large explosion and fire were reported in Olishki after Ukrainian artillery strike which I'm sure had nothing to do with Kotz breaking operational security making his video just the day before. We received unconfirmed intelligence that Ukrainian claims of Russian forces withdrawing their administrators and collaborators from Skadovsk were true, but the scope was exaggerated. In north and northeast Ukraine, Russian forces shelled 11 villages in Sumy, including the Khomadas of Esmen, Velika Pisarivka, Yunakivka, Bilopilia, and Novoslobitske, firing over 65 artillery shells and mortars into the region. The village of Pavlivka was hit by 29 mortars and 9 artillery shells, damaging a home, power lines, and a garage on a farm, with a 55-year-old resident killed by shrapnel. 
A house was damaged in Yunakivka. On the Russian front, Russia accused Ukraine of killing a civilian in the Bilgorod region during the shelling of Shevikino. A 50-year-old man died after being hit in the head by at least one flechette. Quick sidebar. Flechettes are tiny, fin-stabilized darts. They look kind of like nails. The Russian MOD has never accused Ukraine of using these as a weapon before, but Russian forces have been documented using munitions armed with flechettes since March 2022. Two Ukrainian drones reportedly fell and exploded on impact in a village in the Bilgorod region without causing injuries. Governor of the Kursk region, Roman Stadovoitz, claimed that Ukrainian forces got into a border skirmish with Russian troops near Tsyotkine, with Ukrainian forces withdrawing after an exchange of gunfire. Governor Stadovoit also reported that Tyotkine was hit by up to five artillery shells, damaging the electrical infrastructure and knocking out power in the area. Governor of the Bryansk region, Alexander Bagamas, reported that a Ukrainian drone, quote, fired on a military commissariat building in Starodub, setting it on fire but causing no injuries. Governor Bagamas also reported that a Ukrainian drone struck the Rosneft-Klinsovsky oil depot in Bryansk, damaging at least one oil storage tank. In St. Petersburg, a rocket-propelled grenade just missed a car, ricocheted off the ground, and skidded out of frame. Russian officials are unsure where the shot was fired, and no one was injured. Quick assessment here. Both Ukrainian and Russian officials have reported accidents involving soldiers bringing rocket launchers and grenades home with them, and we do not believe this was a purposeful attack. Pro tip, if you're a soldier, maybe leave your work at work. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky told the BBC that Ukrainian forces need more time to prepare to launch large-scale offensive operations due to ongoing shipments of weapons systems and munitions, saying, quote, We can go forward and, I think, be successful, but we'd lose a lot of people. I think that's unacceptable. So we need to wait. We still need a bit more time. End quote. Valery Zaluzhny, commander-in-chief of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, did not attend the meeting of the NATO Military Committee on May 10th, according to Rob Bauer, head of the NATO Military Committee. Zaluzhny told the committee that his participation, even via video conference, is impossible because of the difficult operational situation in the defense against Russian aggression. The head of the Poltava District Court, Larisa Bogomolova, was taken into custody by Ukrainian officials for collaborating with the Russian Federal Security Service, or FSB. The Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, released intercepted phone conversations between Bogomolova and her handlers where she provided information about the movements of Azov fighters and about employees of the Berdyansk District Court who do not support Russian occupiers. Czech Republic President Petro Pavel announced that his nation would provide Ukraine with two more Kub air defense systems with a significant number of missiles. Turkish Otokar Cobra II 4x4 infantry mobility vehicles were recorded in service with the armed forces of Ukraine. Their deployment had not been previously announced. The Associated Press shared photos of two Ukrainian Su-25 ground-attack aircraft equipped with NATO-provided unguided Zuni surface-to-ground missiles, which would be used for close air support.
The Zuni missile was first introduced in the 1950s and has gone through a series of modernizations. It has a range of about 8 kilometers. Speaking of unguided, let's talk about the Russian military mobilization and Mir. Satellite images reconfirmed our assessment that the Tu-95 strategic bombers originally stationed at Engels II military airfield have been relocated to Olenya military airfield in Murmansk. There hasn't been VKS presence for strategic aviation at Engels since November 2022, after a successful Ukrainian drone strike damaged at least two aircraft. Russian President Vladimir Putin signed a decree declaring that all military reservists would go through mandatory military training, including members of the Russian Federation Armed Forces, Roskvardia, State Security Agency, and the FSB. Russian officials insist that reservists who go through training will not be deployed to the so-called Special Military Operations Zone, because trust me, bro. Russian propagandist Marina Akhmedova reported that Russian National Police confiscated drones and cell phones from a Russian soldier, taking them back to the Vukhledar operational area after refurbishment. The soldier was initially detained and accused of selling humanitarian aid in Russia before. Police eventually released the unnamed soldier, canceling his military leave and ordering him back to his unit, but would not release the cell phones or drones. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Vyacheslav Boguslayev, former head of the Motor Siege Aircraft Engine Company and suspected collaborator, requested to be included in a future prisoner exchange with Russia. The request came hours after recordings of his April 2022 orders to disassemble MI-2 helicopters and hide the parts from Ukrainian officials were made public as part of an open-source investigation by Ukrainian journalists. In Bohorodichne, near Izum, a gravesite of Ukrainian civilians buried by Russian occupiers was discovered. It included the remains of two elderly women and a man. Another gravesite was found in Liman, southeast of Izium, with the bodies of three men buried together. In a vote of 331 to 0, the French parliament recognized PMC Wagner as a terrorist organization. In response, PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin, who is definitely going through some things, accused French soldiers previously in Mali of murder, rape, and harvesting organs and blood from African children to sell on the black market. In geopolitical news, Russian President Putin signed a decree that restores direct flights to Georgia and eliminates the Russian requirement to obtain a visa for entry and exit, effective on May 15th. Georgian President Salome Zurabishvili declared the action was a Russian provocation and said the decision was, quote, unacceptable as long as Russia continues its aggression against Ukraine and occupies our territory, end quote. Zurabishvili requested Parliament to implement a 90-day visa program in Georgia for Russian nationals and institute a ban on Russian-language kindergartens. Japan is negotiating with NATO officials to open an office in Tokyo. Japanese Foreign Minister Yoshimasa Hayashi told United States news agency CNN, Japan never completed a peace agreement with Russia after World War II, 
and control of the Northern Islands remains contested. Hayashi said that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has made the world less stable, forcing his nation to reconsider regional security. Polish officials initially dismissed debris of a missile found near Bydgoszcz as a training missile that hadn't been previously located, but the final investigation concluded the wreckage was from a Russian KH-55 air-to-surface cruise missile that likely experienced a guidance system failure and flew until it ran out of fuel. In economic news, Mevlut Cavusoglu, Minister of Foreign Affairs of Turkey, said that an extension of the Black Sea Grain Initiative for two months had been achieved after traveling to Moscow and meeting with Russian officials. The current extension is set to expire on May 18th. The Russian budget deficit grew to 3.4 trillion rubles after the first four months of 2023, with tax revenue from oil and gas sales plummeting from the same period in 2022. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.